0: I'm not one that ever gives up, even when I'm pinned down. I'll figure out a way, either change the rules or uh, figure out a new move to get back up on my feet, and I'd like to bring the people around me up with me, too.
1: I'm Joni Deutsch, and from WFAE in Charlotte, this is Amplifier, the music podcast where we shine a light on the artist who calls Charlotte home because Charlotte is more than just a banking city or a football city. So every other Thursday on this podcast, we're going to explore the people, places, and things that help define the Queen City's Crown Sound. And today, we'll hear from the Charlotte rocker who's been able to channel stage fright into sonic flight. That's coming up on Amplifier. Amplifier. And then the beat will drop.
2: Amplifier. 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 Amplifier.
1: Amplifier. 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 Can you introduce yourself and tell us what you do in Charlotte music?
0: Hi, my name is Jay Garrigan. I am a member of the rock band, The Eyebrows.
1: For those who haven't seen you in person, Jay, they should know that given your quaff, your mane, if you will, and your local <laughs> music work, you have put the Hair and Charlotte Hair Rock for more than 30 years.
0: Hair rock. I love it.
1: And for those who haven't been treated to songs from your 2021 full-length release, Fight, Flight, it's easy to hear that you, in the eyebrows, completely embrace underground power pop and falsetto glam rock. When listening to the eyebrows, I'm sure I'm not the only one to hear inspired tones from avant-garde rockers of yore, like Talking Heads, Queen, as well as contemporary interpretations like The Darknesses, I believe, in A Thing Called Love. Growing up, how influential were the 70s and 80s to your your musical upbringing?
0: You know, um, I grew up as a military brat. So at first, you know, music was that I was exposed to was usually relegated to my parents' record album and their cassettes that, you know, they recorded and also whatever radio was available. So, you know, I remember really getting into uh, like the Beatles, uh, Sgt. Pepper. You know, it was also the time, you know, in the 70s when Kiss was around and I really tried to buy some of their records and I, I got t- I was too scared. Why wouldn't you be? You know, the demon, uh, the makeup. It was just it was, you know, being a being a military brat, you're 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 kinda of sheltered in or at least I was. I remember uh when I lived in San Antonio, Fort Sam Houston, I guess I was like sixth grade for me, there was a kid I met, he had uh the A C D C records. He had uh Dirty Deeds and then Back in Black and I would just go over there and I would beg him to like, Can you can we listen to this again? you know. Um, so, you know, you'd find kids who had like, you know, records and you would listen to them or there's another kid in this apartment complex I lived in. And, uh, again, in San Antonio, you know, his dad was in a cover band. So it's like, oh man, this guy's got electric guitar, you know, and like they, they'd play like Pat Benatar covers and stuff, you know, but that was really cool for me. But, uh, you know, as far as like really liking stuff, it, you know, it wasn't until high school. That, you know, when I went to high school in the late 80s, you either were a head, a metalhead, or you you liked rap, and you couldn't like anything else. And I, I, the, I would get tapes from college kids, right, when I was in high school, and they would play punk rock music, like, you know, The Damned, um, Circle Jerks, Butthole Surfers, just really, like, weird, out-there stuff. Um, that was like me and a select few friends were really into. So I would say, yeah, there, there was some metal there, but that was more due to peer pressure. You know, I remember, uh, we were moving around. I was really into Van Halen, like really into Van Halen. And this was before 1984. And then like my family, and we moved, we spent the summer, uh, you know, living in the desert. And then I remember coming back and finding out Van Halen broke up. I was broken hearted. <laughs> so as I, I think I was 14.
1: You've talked about fear. You've talked about uh, being brokenhearted. About falling in love with this music. It feels like there were a lot of deep emotions that came about with you engaging with these avant-garde, these you know unusual, these different music genres and, and artists.
0: Yeah, well, Joni, I'm I'm tweaked that way. <laughs> I'm a feeler. I feel things deeply, whether they are they should be or not. Um, but yeah, I, I guess you know, music did have a real it was a real emotional outlet for me. Um, and, you know, I don't, I don't think it's, you know, I thought about saying something about this, but I, I don't want to see, I don't think it's cool to, you know, put down, you know, th- how you're brought up. But, um, you know, I, I grew up in a situation where, you know, feelings were not encouraged, very stoic. You know, my mom's side is Swedish. they,
2: you know, you could have
0: a broken leg and your eye falling out and they would ask how you're doing. He's like, Oh great, you know, fine. They they just don't talk about stuff. Um, my dad's side, that's probably a whole other interview on a different podcast, but um <laughs> let's just say um you know growing up under a with a military commander as a father, uh has its uh privileges and challenges. So but the whole weirdest thing about feelings and music, you know, I, I, I started playing music pretty early in my life. Um, you know, played piano around four or five. Uh, and the thing about, you know, I, I, it, it really just, I just really connected with the instruments emotionally. I would play emotionally, you know, um, meaning that, like, I would sit at the piano for hours just noodling and playing. You know, when I got piano lessons, I had to practice. I hated that right? So, but I really, I really love the ability to play. And, you know, when I hit chords, something would resonate within me. I can't tell you what kind of feeling. I don't know if it was like an, an endorphin rush <laughs> or just a feeling of happiness or sadness. That kind of stuff still continues today, Joni. <laughs> Mostly when I'm writing music um, and I'm listening to it myself, you know, I'll have tears in my eyes and then like I, I'll play it for someone else. And I'm like, thank goodness that, that, that little cry is over.
2: It's right with dead.
1: your first band what was the first time that you were actually on stage with a a song and a mic
0: so this does not include piano recital (laughs) or or marching band or jazz band in high school um well i'll tell you what my first rock band uh it was called lost cause we played at the high school um talent show and it was all instrumental and I, i basically in the middle of it i did this like Uh, just noise rock that no one really understood except for maybe two people who I knew were really into music. And I remember my band director just looking at me both happily puzzled and and just happy that I was doing something. But yeah, it was kind of like a noise rock. I'd play with the modulation and feedback on my pedal while the bass player and drummer continued. Um, That drummer was my friend, Mike Handley. Uh, We continued to be roommates in college and we had a band in college called Pete Gorgeous and that was a total like we would just burn songs at the stake um, it was more of a noise rock thing art rock thing less of like a hard rock or metal thing I, it was kind of purposely done that no one understood it neither did I but you had to you had to that's how you expressed yourself the, the thing about both both those bands or at least the high school band uh, and my stomach I remember it was just oh my god it's killed like the you know I didn't know it was like ulcer time <laughs> you know like that first show it's like oh, I'm starting to feel it right now it's like a mem- muscle memory pain memory <laughs> of like just how your, your stomach kills you after a show and that 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 kind of malady I think it followed me even up until my late 20s but somehow I, I learned how to not get so nervous
1: what was that feeling rooted in? Was it having to feel like you were going to need to impress everyone in the room, or the failure, you know, in doing so would just make you feel like it was it was it was wrong for you to be on stage?
0: I don't think it's either of those things. I I can never really put my finger on it, but you know, I think it's just being an introvert and being someone who was conditioned to not express yourself, and suddenly you have that chance to, and uh, you know, I. It, going on stage i always thought about it like this it's like it's gonna happen whether i want it to or not just get up there and do it and then you know all those nerves you know like i used to when i played in uh a band called second skin that changed its name to violet strange where people used to come out just to watch me freak out and they didn't realize like no i was really freaking out it's not an act (laughs) but at the same time i loved it you know because i I love playing music i was just uh it's just a really nervy thing that people say Jay you've got great stage presence I'm like you have no idea <laughs> I just I don't know I'm a stage junkie or something I'm just trying to I, I love the ride but it's hell to go through sometimes or just to get there and then once it once it starts it's usually fine
2: lean in and whisper close fiery lies in the night a taste of
1: Coming up, Jay Garrigan shares his experience making and marketing a brand new record in an uncertain year. That's right after this break on Amplifier. I mentioned earlier that you've been rooted in Charlotte music for the past three decades. And along the way, you've played in a variety of fan favorite local rock bands and groups, ranging from Pop Rocket to Temperance
2: League.
1: I'd love for you to kind of go back to that period in the you know, late 80s, early 90s, when you first began performing around the city. And to be able to tell us about that experience and what the city's music scene was like at that point.
0: Yeah, you know, um, you know, I did mention in college I had like this art noise rock band, Pete Gorgeous, and we were totally clueless about the scene because we played on campus. And then when I guess like you know people like Creative Loafing, like Fred Mills at Creative Loafing, heard of us, he like demanded a tape of us, and he sent it all these labels saying, "Yeah, there's there's real, you know, there's punk rock, there's art rock here." And Charlotte, there's good stuff coming out of here. And, um, you know, I, I started playing solo. And, like, I won, like, Creative Loafing then had, like, a night fest. And, you know, I got put on, like, as a featured performer. And that started that. And then, um, you know, there's a band, great band in town called Fetch and Bones. They're, you know. So I actually had a few English classes with Dan Appendis, their bass player. And we actually had a Shakespeare class together. And I remember, like, there's... There's that girl with the funky glasses. I, guess I have to ask her. I said, "You're, you're, you're Dana from Fetchin' Bones." Like, we had a rapport. I went to a few of their shows, and kind of out of the blue, she just came up to me and said, "Would you audition for our band?" And like before then, like I, you know, I'm this clueless guy who throws around a guitar with a lot of effects on it, right? Um, so I auditioned. I got the part. And soon, I was in a band with, uh, you know, Dana Pentis and Clay Richardson from Fetchin' Bones, who You know, Clay went to the Berkeley School of Music. Dana has, uh, you know, she's a musical genius. I was in a singer. Her name's uh, Deanna Campbell. Uh, Very experienced, you know, professional group. So suddenly I was touring a lot, uh, you know, making records, you know, um, up in New York a lot. Label people coming to see us. Um, but it was a really interesting time for me because I I spent so much time on the road that I really wasn't in touch with Charlotte. Uh, so there's a little give and take there. But you do meet a lot of other musicians who are on the, who are on the same circuit that you get to know that tour. But it was a different time. Um, I would think the early 90s to me was very competitive. Like It was kind of like a football game, right? Like Which team is going to rock the most and have the most people there? do the best job, like, they were great experiences, I wouldn't trade them for anything. You know, uh, the 90s for me were, it was, like I said, it was just, you know, some great opportunities happened that just didn't work out for myself and the groups.
1: How did the Eyebrows, your current band, come to be? And what's more, Jay, why name the band after that particular body part? (laughs)
0: Let's see, how the band came to be. I would, I would occasionally ask Sean Lynch, you know, my right-hand man, who I've played with since 2000. He, he, the reason, he told me the reason he keeps playing with me is because I keep writing songs and he likes them. I'm like, great. So every once in a while, I'm like, you sure you wanna keep doing this? He's like, yes. I'm like, all right. So I think around 2014, I started a project. And I said, you know what? Let's play with people who are really different from us. Like they don't even like the same music that we do. They may have been in a band for a million years. They may have been in a cover band. They may have never been in a band. Um, the eyebrows, I don't know. I i didn't like the name Pop Rocket. We could have kept keeping calling it Pop Rocket. I didn't really like the name. Um, so I thought, you know, I read a quote from Frank Zappa. I think it says something like, uh, you know, the song can have a perfect mathematical design, but uh, what's often missing are the eyebrows. And I was like, oh, yeah. You know, and also eyebrows are a very expressive um, and communicative body part, right? You can have a whole conversation. Those of you in podcast land can't see me raising and lowering my eyebrows. Joni's eyebrows are up. Um, It's a way of communicating without words. It adds the extra oomph that you need when you're saying something or singing something or playing something.
2: It was new.
1: Just as 2021 has been a year unlike anything we've ever seen, 2021 has also been a unique year for music, particularly for the eyebrows. Uh, You recently released your sophomore full-length album, it's titled Fight Flight, which to my ears, takes this pent-up anxiety and frustration and propels it forward through punky power pop arrangements. You took a special approach to sharing this music with the world, and I'd love it if you could tell us how you got to that point and what exactly this special uh, delivery system, this special release,
0: is. Sure. So, you know, with the COVID lockdown, I knew if we're going to remain an active band, something had to change as a band that prides itself on, you know, touring regionally, you know, not playing Charlotte every month, maybe three, four times a year, playing every city, you know, in the region three or four times a year. That's where we made our fans. That's where we made our sales. We were like, we we were like, how in the heck are we going to be a band? Right. And also, you know, with all these records here in my basement, how are we going to move them? So, you know, I started searching online, like, you know, I, I, didn't even, I didn't even know it was called, like, music marketing. I didn't even know that was the way to do it. But I saw an ad. I um, Hope this group doesn't mind. They're, they're like a, that I, tell, I talk about them. They're called Indiepreneur. Free plug, guys. Um, and they teach you this, I guess, a friendship cycle. So it's like, I'm not gonna go up to you on the street, say, hey, Joni, give me your phone number. I'm going to a concert. Let's go together. You're like, dude, I don't, I don't know you that well. I'm not gonna do that. But, you know, if we have a relationship over time, right? You know, I could say, hey, um, you know, this band's playing, I've got our extra ticket, you wanna go? You can meet us there, you know, that might be appropriate, right? And it's not until like, uh, you know, later it's like, you can't just, you know, a lot of people I see on the internet, they say, buy my record. And it's like, well, why? Why do I want to buy your record? Well, here's a track. Buy my record. And it's like, well, yeah, it sounds great. Why do I want to buy your record, right? So what? I that's the whole kind of transformation for me was to realize, yeah, music is a thing, but what really matters is having fans. You c- you can't be a a person like the like I said, the Field of Dreams item or the Album of Dreams or Song of Dreams. Just because you build it doesn't mean people are going to come. Another thing I figured out you know, what this record is. Um, you know, I have the cities where our music's really popular and Charlotte's like number 26 <laughs> on that list. Uh, L.A., Seattle, Chicago, Detroit, New York, Boston. But I remember that's the first like seven. If we were going to do a tour, we would hit those cities. But we're, you know, we're older. We don't have the Means to get off work right? we're not willing to take that chance, but I still don't think that's it. it's still we could still make fans in the region you know we could still do okay in charlotte um but it, there's a couple of things that you know when you when you market to the world um you know I realize our music is such a niche genre right now um I wouldn't expect to find most of our fans in Charlotte, you know, even my, I have great friends who don't come to shows. It's fine. We're friends, you know, friendships first, but, uh, you'll, you'll find that you actually have a global, this global network of fans and it's just, it's crazy good. It's crazy insane. Um, but it made me realize our, our music isn't for everybody. It isn't for every region. Um, and that's fine. That's how, that's how you find an audience or your audience finds you. Yeah, so the way it it works is if you like if you like a song, we event we we might give you like a second video like the making of or something, and then if you like that, we might say hey check out we have this like you know 12 day free album release. You get a free song a day. As a matter of fact, we're gonna give you all the songs for free to start with. Um, you sign up, you get the songs, you get to hear the background of the songs. You know we've got interviews with Mitch Easter. Uh, Bill, you can watch Bill Skibb actually cut the record uh, uh, onto a, a lacquer. Uh, that's how they, you know, press records. Um, interviews with all kinds of people with us. We have like commentary tracks, videos of us, and you know, creating the album. All kinds, all that kind of baloney. Um, you know, if you're interested in it, and people are, you know, they really dig in. And you know, by the end of it, you get like um, you get a couple special deals on stuff if you. If, If you want to if not you have the record for free you can stream um, on your own private computer or listening device Um, but the releasing a track I'd say every month or so is a way to get people in that the ecosystem so it's yeah it's special and also we have like events you can come hang out with us live ask us questions so it's really interactive Um, I think my bandmates were surprised I was like guys we got a got a zoom meeting with our fans they're like what do you mean? Well, you just do it. I said, no, it's after practice. Just hang out. And, uh, you know, we connected with a lot of people. They told us stories. We told them stories. And I think that got them hooked on uh, this new way of doing things. I think they were skeptical at first, but then they saw uh, and I also hate using this term, the numbers. Right? The Your social's growing. Um, the question's growing. All that good stuff that we used to think just happened because you wrote good music. No, you have to have good good rapport with your fans. That's how we create it, one fan at a time.
1: <laughs> Fight and Flight is more than just a, a, a record with a marketing vehicle behind it. It's also a record with emotions motivating it. Um, what theme or message did you have in mind when you were creating when you were producing these songs
0: um so the songs come over they've been written over a couple of years like more than two years some of them are significantly older than that because i'm writing all the time and i've got a huge backlog of songs that most of them aren't great but every once in a while there's one they're like you know or even sean's like you know i want to bring that one back out i like that one you played you know a few years ago or whatever and we make you know retool it, rearrange it. I may rewrite the lyrics. Um, but as far as each song has a different feeling, but I think I'm, I've always written about relationships, right? So being someone who's had a lot of (laughs) turmoil in their lives, um, I've got a lot of material to draw from. Um, so I would think the emotions start there, but, um, The the title track, though, Fight, Flight, obviously you've you've heard me on this podcast talking about, you know, my freak-out sessions, developing a slight ulcer-like condition. The uh, Fight, Flight song was the last song I wrote before I got some help. I was having some serious uh, panic and anxiety. Um, There's a song by Lou Reed um, called Waves of Fear, And, uh, you know, I was listening, I was kind of freaking out anyway. I was listening to it and I was like, first of all, I love the guitar playing on it and the sounds on it. But then I was listening to the lyrics and I was like, this is exactly how I feel. You know, my better half, uh, Jen, my wife, I said, man, you got, this is how I'm feeling. This is why I'm being such a jerk right now. She's like, you're kidding. I was like, no, that's exactly how I feel. Um, and, uh, you know, before I did get help, I wrote the lyrics to Fight Flight. Um, the chorus goes, you know, you know, here they come, they're gathering outside. The lyric on the album says, uh, you know, like, here they come, they're gathering outside. Uh, kiss me now and take my breath away or something like that. But yeah, it's a good lyric. But the original lyric was, here they come, they're gathering outside. Are you coming to take my life? that's a pretty difficult thing to say, right? Because, you know, the past couple of years have been really scary. You know, I, I did write a little bit about like, you know, like the red hats gathering outside or here they come, they, they never go away. You know, it's that feeling of like, something's really wrong in this country and it's, making me feel really wrong it's making everyone I love feel terrible you know how do you combat this so I kind of wish I kept that original lyric Joni <laughs> I really do uh but you know is talking to Sean and Darren about it. They're like they're like you know it's let's it's, let's let's aspire <laughs> let's not let's go not go into a downward spiral let's aspire I'm like yeah let's let's get aspirational that's where it's at wish I kept the original lyric, but you know, that's the thing with rock and roll. You don't overthink it. Sometimes you just go with a decision.
2: Flying
1: Jay, over the course of the interview, I've I've been thinking about your backstory and your connection to music and how it's been an outlet for you. And I'm curious how this past year, this pandemic year, this year of unrest and big conversations and lockdown, how that's impacted your work and your feelings and your
0: music outlook. Um, I think, you know, my life, don't want to get into details, would be as a, uh, I'd characterize it as a survivor, right? So, and I like to figure stuff out. So with the whole, you know, the whole world being turned upside down, um, while a lot of other people are waiting for it to get normal, I thought this is never going to return. It's never going to be normal. We have to figure this out. And... Yeah, I led the charge with my group. And um, it's made all the difference. Like learning, like, how do I reach new fans? How do we play shows if we can't get out of the basement? Do we even gather? (laughs) Right? You know, I've always been someone who doesn't give up. That's why I'm still playing music at uh, the beautiful age of uh, 51. So It's either part stubbornness or just part, you know, doing what you love and not really caring whether folks think and then when you put the music out there and you connect with people you realize age is not a a factor it may actually be a, a positive thing in your relationship with people um yeah it's just you know I I'm not one that ever gives up even when I'm pinned down I'll figure out a way either change the rules or uh, figured out a new move to get back up on my feet. And I'd like to bring the people around me up with me too.
1: Jay Garrigan is the lead singer in The Eyebrows. Their 2021 full-length release is titled Fight, Flight, and it's available on The hyphen and wherever my music is streamed and sold amplifier is a production of wfae this episode was written and produced by me joni Deutsch. our editor is jennifer lang our theme music is provided by dirty art club share your favorite charlotte music recommendations with me on social media you can tag and follow me i'm at a change of tune amplifier features a new musical episode every other thursday So make sure to subscribe to the Amplifier podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and wherever you find podcasts. And if you're listening on NPR One, make sure to give us a heart or a favorite. Check out the playlist and show notes for today's episode, along with a Charlotte music map and a way for you to submit your music on our website, wfae.org slash amplifier. Until next time, I'm Joni Deutsch. Thanks for listening.